first of all, when I said Forex, I meant our revenue more than Forex, not just the uh, so 12, that's 12, 12 million AR then. I think the, the, no way, Errol, come on. 12 million AR, right? That's 4X, 3 million. That's roughly the number again. <laughs> he won't say it. Look at this. This is great. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Hey folks, my guest today is Ariel Asaroff. He's uh, had a career in the Israeli intelligence unit of 8200 and later joined Verint Systems to work at the Homeland Security Decision and co-founded CoreLogix in 2015 to change how companies analyze their data from index, then analyze, then analyze to index and go back and forth on what matters. Ariel, are you ready to take us to the top? Thank you very much, Nathan. Great to be here. I was going to say, is, is ex-Israeli intelligence, you know, Monday, Roy Mann, Chorus, I feel like you all, you just know something we don't. It's interesting, actually. I think there was a research now in Israel that showed uh, where most entrepreneurs come from. I think there are three specific units. There's 8200, there's 8100 that came out of shadows recently, and there's pilots. So in our company, we have a mix. And in our board, we actually have um, 80% of the board members are uh, uh, pilots in, in their past. So I guess there's a uh, there's something when everyone has to to get enlisted to the army uh, that kind of ranks people on what they like to do and should do in life when they're 18, which makes decisions uh, easier. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. So let's jump into CoreLogix. What are folks paying you for today? Yeah. Um, so the, the thing is, uh, if, if I take a little a step backwards, um, the observability space, logging, metrics, security, uh, tracing, it started about almost 20 years ago, or it really started to explode almost 20 years ago when Splunk mm -hmm. took it from the appliance um, sort of approach to actual software and then uh, software as a service uh, with the, the concept of uh, let us ingest all your data, we'll index it, we'll store it, we'll become some sort of Google for your organization or for your operations or for your uh, security. And it worked great uh, because the, the amount of data 20 years ago was, was something that can be handled like that. And with time, we're seeing data growing exponentially. What we tell our customers and our investors in the previous round was data grows faster than revenue. So you'll see any company you're covering, you'll notice, like you'll ask them and they'll give you the, the most uh, 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 insane KPI of growth. If you ask them how much did their data grow during that time, their observability mm -hmm. data, it'll be like 5, 10x. Yeah. What happens is that, you know, uh, uh, data and observability tools are part of your margins or part of the... Basically, they're part of the, the unit economics of an organization. And as data grows faster than revenue, um, it becomes hard to manage, super expensive, hard to scale, performance issues start to rise. So we started a company like almost seven years ago, but we didn't start where we are today. We 20, 20, 2014, right? That was uh, end of 2014. Okay. And uh, we started... Uh, with like a, a, a lighter version of Splunk, you know, that like a cloud cheaper Splunk. But with time, things started evolving and we saw that customers aren't looking just for uh, a solution that can do whatever the others can because 
their models started to break. Uh, cost contained was, was impossible. Performance was an issue. And then we kind of decided uh, after three years of basically doing nothing. So the first three or four years, the company was zero revenue, zero customers. It was almost shut down. So we were Wait, on a- So hold on. So between 2014 and 2017, no revenue. The first dollar came in October, 2017. Um, and we actually had a board on September, 2017, where there was a decision point where the board members said, you know, we like you guys. They were super nice and, and, and uh, uh, patient. How, how much had you raised to that point? $2 million. And um, it was- so very- wait, what, what, didn't, you, didn't you do a $5.2 million seed though in 2016? No, not not five point two million dollars. It was it was uh, a million, then another million. That oh, was I see. Okay, thing. and then they kind of wondered whether they should just uh, uh, close the company and 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 hand out the money back to the investors. But there was so little that they decided <laughs> not, not to because it doesn't really matter. And they how said, much? You know, how much was in the bank twenty seventeen before you shut down or thought about it? Three hundred thousand dollars. Wow. At the end of twenty seventeen, were five people. Wow. So, I was, I'm one of the co-founders, but I was not the CEO. The CEO left at that point. Um, and How much the, equity did you own at that point? Um, it was, you know, we just had a couple of rounds, so it was, okay. it was still fine. And then um, the CTO that was an employee left after him because, you know, the company kind of fell apart. So he went to manage a group, this big company. And uh, Yoni, uh, a, a good friend of mine who also led a group in Variant, uh, basically became the CTO, became my co-founder, and we restructured the company entirely. Um, and we started running from that point onwards. Um, and within the four or five months, we got to like 20, 25,000 uh, of monthly recurring. So the board was uh, um, very surprised because they thought they're going to shut down the company. <laughs> And they gave us $2.5 million more, like an extension, like a, a, a um, CLA. At, at, what, at what valuation? The valuation back then was roughly $10 million. Okay, got it. So you sold so, at 25%. Yeah. So we started uh, running the company and uh, ended that year at like uh, a bit over a million. Um, and then something interesting happened. Um, we got an acquisition offer. And that was for a few tens of millions. Uh, In 2018? We really, that's uh, beginning of 2019. Okay. We were really considering because, you know, we, we, we had so much, we, we had so much uh, 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 trouble getting this off ground and people in the board and in the company started to get tired because we were only seven, eight people back then. Mm-hmm. So we got into a point where we had an S, uh, like an SPA in our hands. Um, what does that stand for? Is that like an LOI? SPA is Shure's uh, purchase agreement. No, it's it's all the way to the actual signature. Oh yeah, okay. That is the definitive agreement. Now, yep. I was 29, and at that point, getting a few million dollars looked like you know when when I thought about starting the company, for me that was like an ultimate outcome, right? And but then you know we're fortunate. Wait, 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 Ariel. Sorry, I don't mean to keep cutting you off, but take us in your head. Actually, at that point, you're 29. How much of the company did you own at that point? Um, I'm not sure I can share percentages, but a decent okay, percentage. Okay. I, I could have taken a few, a nice amount of millions. Can though. you give a range of like between 10 and 50%? Is that a big enough range? Yes. Okay. Fair enough. And the offer was for in the tens of millions. So like it was like 30, 40 million. Low, low like tens. Yeah. Yeah. Low low tens. Tens. Not, not 90. 100. Okay. 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 So, um, 
we were actually fortunate to be at that point because not many people get to, you know, everyone says, I want to grow a big company. I don't want to sell, you know, and then the acquisition offer comes and, and now you're sitting in front of something that is real. And we were actually there to look at how it'll feel like just signing a piece of paper and receiving a few millions of dollars. And then me and Yoni said, you know, we actually don't want to do that. Yep. We have a lot more to do. So I went to one of our board members at stage one and I said, listen, I know there's going to be a board meeting next week to approve the SBA, which means this is a definitive agreement. I need your support on this. So he said, listen, I'm part of the committee that ran this deal. So I, what I'll do, I'll resign from the board and resign, from, I'm sorry, resign from the committee and then I'll, I'll be able to do so, which was a little bit dramatic. And then he said, and what's the alternative? I mean, the company is, you know, we, we bear in mind, we don't have money in the bank at that point. So I call uh, a friend of mine from Aleph VC, um, Aaron, and I say, listen, um, next week, uh, we need to decide on an SBA. I know you know the company. Here are the numbers. And I text the numbers in WhatsApp. What were they, by the way? High level. Back then, it was like 1.4 million a year, maybe, or so. Yeah. That's that's mid-2019. So like after the acquisition offer, it took a few months to get to the SBA. Yeah. And then um, what happens is that he tells me, you know what? I think I'll, we'll make an offer. And I said, okay, so when, when can you make it? He said, oh, you know, I'm coming back to Israel next week. Let's meet my partners. I said, listen, man, there's, there's a meeting Monday. It's Tuesday now. <laughs> I need to, to get it. So he arranges his uh, uh, partners in this room in New York. We barely hear each other. 30 minutes we speak. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to send you an offer. And he sends the, the offer again on WhatsApp, like this one, two, three, four, five. And I said, can I bring this to the board? Because, you know, they're going to turn off an offer that that's going to make like a nice income for everyone, even though even the ones that got in and 10 million will make, make yeah, like they're a, still three, four X. Right. Yeah. yeah. And he says, um, tell the board that we are 100 percent behind it. We're not backing off no matter what we discover in the due diligence, which was very ballsy. And then uh, and what was the WhatsApp? This was a $10 million round at what valuation? The same was, as the acquisition uh, offer? It was a $10 million round, the same valuation of the acquisition offer. So we okay. make it, you know, make it apples to apples uh, with some nice restructuring the cap table because back then there was already because of the, the bridge loan. So, oh, that 2.5 million, that was a, that was a loan. Converted, yeah, yeah, it was a CLA. It converted together with the, the round. Okay. And um, we took that. Uh, that that uh, offer and uh, we signed that in I think it was like summer of 2019 and um, he told me after that that conversation listen this is going to be the the hardest round you've had because you guys had such a hard time now you finally have a, an actual company and things are really running well and then uh, just to be clear I mean this is kind of incredible 1.4 million bucks in ARR and you got the 10 million raise done I think what like a 30 40 million dollar valuation so I mean, that's a pretty high multiple right for a company that was struggling back in 2015 you know you I, I see companies today raising uh, 20 million seed rounds at 100 so I don't know I don't know anymore but uh, back then it was it was uh, a, a nice leap of uh, leap of faith yeah so actually we ended that year at uh double so within like uh four or five months and that was that was great wait what, what do you mean by that you, you ended at 2.8 million run rate in december yeah. of 2019 yep okay 
And then uh, we started growing really nicely, but then COVID hit really bad. That was the beginning of 2020. We actually opened. So we, everything was inbound and word to mouth. We didn't have any salespeople. We hired a first sales team in New York and I went to meet them in New York on the 10th of March, 2020. We had a a week training and onboarding. I, I went back home and everything locked down in Israel, in the US, everything locked down. No one would take our calls. No one answered emails. Everyone was shocked. New York became hell. So my team, part of them, you know, were, were not uh, uh, available. It was, it was a mess. So it took us like four or five months to get out of the shock and start growing again. But four or five months, we were literally stuck. Nothing moved, no growth. Yep. And then what were you stuck at? I mean, you're talking like what, a eight, nine million run rate? Three million still. Okay. Three million. Um, and then what happened is that, um, in June, I met, uh, Red Dot and OG Tech, two, uh, growth companies, uh, growth, uh, VCs here in Israel and told them, listen, I know the numbers don't look really well, but we're going to launch Streama. And I explained what Streama is. And that, that was critical, uh, because Streama is, is basically what we started working on ever since we got in that CLA beginning of 2018, which is flipping how the ingestion pipeline looks like. So everyone index all the data and then they analyze it. So they run periodic queries on the data. They run the aggregation on the storage. They run the dashboards from the storage, which makes it expensive, slow, and limits the, the level of analytics that you can provide. Mm-hmm. And I told them we're launching Streama, which will analyze everything in real time, including stateful things. So even though it's real time without storing the data, I can tell you that something happened that didn't happen the past three months. So that is that is something that doesn't exist today at, in the market at all. It's stateful streaming. And that will lead, uh, what I explained, that will lead to cost reduction, better performance, easier customer acquisition, um, and uh, uh, broaden our use cases from logs to logs and metrics and security and traces and in the future BI. And also decouples us from the storage so we can use any syntax, any dashboard. So CoreLogix today can use its own dashboard, but many others. Like, I don't know if it's, it's very common, but Kibana, Grafana, SQL clients, Tableau, anything can plug to CoreLogix. So now it's a data platform play. It's not just a product. And it's, you know, it's a hard thing to explain to an investor, not to mention when you're not growing. Um, but they, they actually believed in it. We didn't do a round. They just said, okay, we're in. We got a couple offers. We went with these guys. We got a $25 million check. And uh, well, what was the initial? So I want to understand again, you had a little bit more. So you tell the story, you got to sell a vision. Any startup founder has to do that, yep. right? You get the offer at some valuation. What was the initial offer? And then were you able to drive the valuation up, create some FOMO at all or no? So actually, one thing that we've done in both that round and this one after was not go after the, higher va- the highest valuation even when we got it. Um, but to optimize to the structure of round that we felt that is the best for us. So who gets to put how much, how does the board look like? What are the expectations from the company? What's the expectation from the end of the year? Um, how many board meetings we have, what advisors we bring, how much ESOP we leave. And that, you know, I think- Wait, that one I'm curious on. How, what was the ESOP pool you set up in this round, Series B? After Series B, so there we I think we left 8% clean ESOP. Okay. After series A, we left 13% clean ESOP that that were that we as founders did not did not take. So yep. the, the thing is that 
I think because of the scars we had when we founded a company and all the hardships that we went through, we understood that for us to succeed, what we need most from our investors is patience and believing in our vision. Because this is a, you know, you're, you're a tiny company, you're trying to fight Splunk and Datadog and other companies are tens of millions. If you don't have a patient board that can understand technology and, and go a long way with you, I, you know, let me put it this way. If, if our seed round was with like uh, an American top VC, we would have shut down for sure. Yeah. Like they, they shut us down. They, 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 they won't even ask. So we understood that this is the most important part. And um, ever since then, so the, that round closed round roughly November uh, uh, 2020. And what valuation was that? About 100 million? Roughly 100. Yeah. And, and, and we've post, done- That's post money, right? That's post. Yeah. And we've done uh, more than, than almost 4X ever since. Um, so, so the round you just raised was 55 million at like a 400-ish post. That's what's published in TechCrunch. Um, it's uh, it's it's around the number. TechCrunch uh, always get they get shit wrong all the time. Though I'd rather just hear it from it's, you. I, it's interesting because we we actually did not disclose any valuation of them and said that we cannot disclose. Uh, but they guessed, which was roughly around the number, so we didn't care too much. Yeah. I mean, look, um, most of the stuff is pretty standard. You're selling a certain percent in most rounds. But I like talking to founders where they do something creative with the rounds. For example, if a big chunk of the $55 million was secondary, so you could retain early employees that really wanted some liquidity, so they'll stick with you longer. Like, did you do anything creative or was it very standard? So a couple of things. Um, first of all, when I said 4X, I meant our revenue more than 4X, not just the... Uh, not just, okay. So also 12, that's 12, 12 million in ARR then. I think the the no way arrow come on twelve million AR right that's four x three million, that's roughly the number again. Yeah. <laughs> he won't say it. Look at this. This is great. All right, um, that's great. We spoke great. about eighty two hundred. You remember Nathan? Yeah. So yeah. Um, I can never crack the Israeli. I can never. I can crack most founders. Ex Israeli defense. You guys are the t- toughest shit. But you <laughs> I figure out a way. You know. So, I think. By the way, the round was was June. Um, if I had to guess. Um, we, since, since June, we've almost doubled. So I mean, Revenue? Uh, yeah. So I mean, wow. the, the valuation should be higher if we were to re- raise around today, but we have a lot of cash. I don't think we'll go to around very soon. So you're past 24 million bucks in terms of forward looking run right then, right now. Uh, we have a decent runway that can fit a bigger company than what we are for. You did more than $2 million in revenue last month. Um, I, uh, I can't confirm or, uh, not confirmed. So we are uh, uh, at a point now where we're starting to really broaden the the, oppor- the, the opportunity and, and the offering. Yep. So um, we're saying, you know, we have this technology that can analyze in real time without storage. Why stop with observability? Why stop with logs? We started doing security now. We're launching a security offering, very powerful, including uh, 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 professional consulting, uh, including cloud posture, um, and other things that... Wait, that- Arl, tell me more about that. Most VCs would hate the, the word consulting, but I know some of the highest net dollar retention founders tie on consulting to their, to their stickiest customers. How are you structuring that? So the thing, the thing is that, that it goes with the product, you know, just like CrowdStrike has uh, uh, consulting and, and PS, but we're not talking about a service that will go to customers outside the CoreLogic's uh, uh, ecosystem. A customer that buys a certain amount of, of, of data in CoreLogic's will get without paying per hour, but he will get an expert helping him on board, helping them uh, define the, the right uh, criteria for, for security alerting, uh, help them build their incident response strategy. Those are things that we're seeing that are 
a huge gap in the market. Just yeah. companies really, you know, one of the questions. So one of our advisory boards is is, is Yuval Cohen. He used to be the the CISO at, at at ServiceNow for a few years, and he's asked a question on his LinkedIn that I really connected to before we started this, and 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 it, the the answers were remarkable. So he said, um, "How much did you increase your spend?" in the past two years on security products. And it ranges between four to 10 X. And then how much more secure do you feel uh, in your organization? Like how, how, how did you improve your security posture as an organization? And most answers are not like none to a bit more because these tools, they produce a lot of insights. I don't know what to do with them. I don't know how to defend myself. There's, there's a huge gap of information and there's a huge gas, a gap of knowledge. So this is where we fit in to help our customers actually make the best of the product. Now, if, if, if this is just you know, observability and logging, there are many people, um, DevOps and platform engineers that really know this, but now as security becomes uh, part of the DevOps and platform team's responsibility, uh, these guys just don't know security. So everyone talk about DevSecOps, but there aren't really many DevSecOps engineers. Many of them are just DevOps engineers that got a new responsibility to secure the cloud. Yeah. So this is where we fit in. And, and um, how many? So how many customers like that are paying you now today? It's over two thousand, right? How many total? Two thousand customers are paying us, but this is the the, the the current platform. The security product has five customers. Two of them are some of the biggest companies in the world. Um, right. So we are actually aiming this offering for larger companies uh, that have bigger. Uh, infrastructure or migrating to the cloud, unlike our cloud native and internet play uh, for the observability uh, uh, stack. Let me stick on this for a second, the professional services question. If you have 2000 customers today, what are they paying you per month on average on the SaaS side? And and what are the professional service like setup options? So today there's no professional services at all. Oh, there all for security. So today all right. it's all SaaS. There's full right. SaaS. We have one client that is semi on-prem, uh, and not SaaS, and it's just because the amount of data they produce is not something that any cloud can handle. And what's the average customer paying you per month right now to use the technology, the current technology? You know, it really ranges because there are so many zero-touch customers. The top 100 are uh, roughly at 80, 85 ACV. What's the most, Uh, don't name the customer, but your biggest customer pays you how much? A million dollars a year. Okay, so do you have multiple accounts at a million a year or just one? We have uh, 25 accounts over 100,000 and five accounts over 500,000. Okay, so 25 accounts over 100K and then five accounts over 500K and then one over a million. Yep. That's a bit, okay, that's great. The one, where have you had success driving the upsell? What are you upselling against to get someone to go up to a million dollar ACV? Yeah, so, you know, first of all, the, the growth of data, like I mentioned, is exponential. Yeah. Even though we're super efficient, we have so many ways to, to reduce costs because we help customers prioritize data by use case and then they pay less and so on and so forth. There's just data growth. And we have uh, uh, other offerings that customers buy. So a customer would start with logs and then they'll buy metrics and then they'll buy security. And then and in, in this, the near future, they'll buy tracing. Um, so, you know, we, ex- we expand like this uh, on multiple products. I think this is a game that Datadog played really well. They have nine products now and they just upsell and cross-sell all the time. Um, it also gives the customer a sense of uh, unification of data because people want to see everything in the same place, the same dashboard. Um, so it helps drive the <clears throat> both the gross retention and the net retention. Well, so, what is your net retention today? 
So since the beginning of this year, over 130%. 130%. And peel back that onion. So there's gross and then expansion. What was gross churn? And then what was expansion? Gross churn this year, less than 2%. Total. That's incredible. So expansion per, expansion was like 32%, something like that. Roughly. Wow. That's pretty, okay. That's very impressive. What's the team look like today? How many people? Uh, we're just a hundred people. We just reached a okay. hundred people. Exactly. Uh, the, the interesting fact is that exactly uh, two and a half years ago, we were eight. So the company is growing really fast. And I think a year from now, we'll, we'll cross the 200 people mark. I think this company basically is a company that started in January, 2018. Think about it this way. So we had like four loss, three and a half loss years. And then in January, 2018, the company started and, and, and that gives, that's just a different life. You see the graphs of growth. It's like this and then just boom. What's more impressive to me is that, you know, I always look at sort of unit economics, right? If you've got 24 million bucks in revenue right now, the hundred people, that's 240,000 bucks in revenue per employee, which is way, it's almost triple what the average private VC backed SaaS company has. And I'm sure you're hiring like crazy right now. So that number will go down as you invest in growth. Exactly. But it's still We're hiring impressive. a lot more. We're doing more marketing. This is just a result of, um, our history, you know, you, you, you tend to not be a used spender when you experience four years having zero budget and almost mm -hmm. shutting down a company. Uh, How many engineers on the team? The, the largest group is engineering uh, over, I think, almost 70 engineers. Seven, seven engineers. Interesting. Okay. So what's the next move? I mean, again, it sounds like you've almost doubled over the past like four months in terms of revenue. You know, this is a fast growing company. Obviously, Salesforce failed uh, to get the Datadog deal done. Are you in acquisition talks right now with Salesforce? I am not. I actually mentioned that that Salesforce, I think, will get in our space some way, somehow. And I think Confluent will also step into the observability space. I think also Snowflake will get there because it just that makes no sense for companies that control a lot of data and charge data to not get into the space that produces the, the, the largest amount of data. And the users have the biggest checks in the organizations now, which is the R&D and platform teams. I We are not thinking acquisition now. We already rejected an acquisition. So uh, our, our goal now is just to grow the company. We have, like mentioned, a, a pretty decent runway and a lot of freedom to grow and expand and build more products and more offerings. And, you know, with the valuations currently in, 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 in the VC market, uh, there's no real urge to go ahead and, and, and um, sell the company. Um, and by the way, to your question regarding what have we done creatively with the money in this round, we actually cleaned up a lot of the cap table from the older investors. Tell, tell um, me more about that. How did you do that? We, you know, you send a preemptive, we'll give a good deal. Um, people that felt like they, they're going to lose their money a few years ago, uh, suddenly found out they're, they're at 20, 25 X and many sold. And that made the cap table a lot cleaner. So that's what you, you basically said, Hey guys, we raised 55 million. We can spend X percent of this to like buy out early folks and the price no, we're going to offer to buy it out. Top, is on top of the 55. Say that again. On top of the 55, we didn't count inside the round. Okay. So what was the total round size? I can't remember the exact number, but this is the, the 55 is the amount of money that we got into the company. Yeah, I know, but I want to know what the secondary part was to clean up a cap table, like five to 10 I million or like, guess, yeah, if I need to guess five to 10 million. Okay. And, and, um, did early did you give the option to early employees as well? Who maybe wanted a little bit extra cash? That's interesting. Yes. To like five people, zero. Oh. Well, you only had five or eight people for the first right? five years. <laughs> zero, zero except no one wanted. Uh, no one did it. No one wanted to sell. Actually, mm -hmm. in the previous round, it was very interesting. In the A round, one of the employees brought $100,000 from home and, and bought. That was in the 2019 $10 million round. 
Yes, and he's already made a very nice multiplier. I love that. Wait, so today, how much do employees own of the business? It sounds like 15, 20%, something fairly big. Um, A little less than that. Yeah. Okay. That's great. We, I mean, that's obviously a great way to keep. Now, are new people that joining today, are options something you include in every offer? Every, there's not a single employee from office admin to anyone in the company gets options. Yeah. First. That's great. Interesting. Uh, are you, I know this is going to sound crazy because you just raised 55 million, but if you've doubled revenue, I mean, are you raising right now? Probably not in the next uh, five, six months. Uh, we want to, now we're really expanding the go-to-market team, creating more predictable sales uh, model. Uh, we are focused ending this year uh, where we want to end it. And then- Which is what? Can you break 30 million by December in terms of run rate? No, probably okay. not. Probably not. And, and, and then uh, after Q1, we'll look at you know results. We'll see where we're ending 2022 and maybe then uh, think about a, a growth round. Yeah, really interesting. Um, anything else that you've done really creatively that like I just didn't think to ask about? Um, no, it's just great, great speaking to you, man. I get your newsletter so many times. So uh, oh, nice. You read the you read the, the, the email. Yes, speaking to the to the person behind it is is really cool. Why did you agree to come on? Obviously, you know I'm going to ask a bunch of data questions, which other founders appreciate. We learn from you, but why did you I, agree? So I I get the newsletter so many times. I got an email from you that looked personal. I just had to open it, and I said. You know, <laughs> I can speak to this guy sitting in my inbox for the past three, four years, then uh, I might as well do that. Carol, you're like an OG man. You 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 were like back in the day. <laughs> All right. So hey, so just to put a copper on this, when you turn down like call it a $30, $40 million acquisition back in 2019, if Frank at Snowflake or Salesforce come to you and offer you a billion dollars all cash up front today, do you sell? This is a question to the board. If there's you know, if there's something, it's not my company. My this product. guy always gives the right answer. I guys, I've tried <laughs> so hard to catch him. I can't do it. I've tried. All right, Ariel, let's wrap up with a famous five. Number one, favorite business book. Um, so it's it's old school, but I really loved it. Um, it's called Spin Selling. Um, that, Whoa, that uh, dude, Neil Rackham. That's like no one remembers that book. That's very old school, but I've learned so many things from this. They basically tracked thousands of salespeople and uh, differentiated between the, the successful ones and the non-successful ones and exactly how uh, the, the successful ones make it. I don't think sales changed over the course of the past 200 years. It's still human to human interactions and, and, and it's always relevant. So uh, this is one of the books that I, I actually quote so many times when we have meetings on sales and go to market. How does an 8,200 unit ex-Israeli defense person come across Neil Rackham and spin selling like a decades old book on selling? That just, I would never put those two together. I actually have no idea who recommended it. That is wild. I love that. Okay. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Um, yeah, he's actually a, a, a friend and an advisor. So um, he, advi- he he actually gave me another very good book uh, called, I think it's Predictable Predictable Revenue Model, something by Aaron Ross. Yep. Um, that's Guy Bloch. Um, used to be the COO for Splunk, um, and now he's the CEO at Bring, uh, which he took from a small company to a post-billion-dollar valuation company within like two years. Brilliant CEO, one of the best that I've met, and uh, we we chat every once in a while, and he gives me good tips on on management and uh, and the 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 whole world of go to market specifically because he knows our market so well. And one of our advisory board members, uh, Ronnie Grushka. One of the most uh, straight, 
up no bullshit guys that you met. He's the founder of Marquit, ISS Marquit, that got sold to S&P for 40 billion lately. Uh, brilliant guy that basically is, uh, you know, he's not from our domain, but he's a mentor to how to become a good CEO and how to, be, to become someone who can actually build a company that is the size of ISS Marquit traded in NASDAQ. So there, there aren't many people who've done that. And he's great. Unique folks. Number three, besides your own, what's your favorite online to tool for building CoreLogix? My favorite online tool for building CoreLogix. That's interesting. So actually, it's relatively new in our tool set. Um, I don't know why we waited so long, but we just uh, uh, started using Monday heavily. And the great thing about it is that it's so versatile. So I, we, you know, there was always like tools for managing R and D tasks, and tools for sales, and tools for marketing. Suddenly there's one from CS through marketing and it's so flexible the way that you can use it a thousand different ways that, that we found it to be super useful and helpful for the company to collaborate. So this is just like I said about companies wanting their data in the same place, you know, the, the logs, metrics, security, tracing and, and other events, and they want to correlate it. Suddenly when you can look at tasks end to end and you can see a task in R&D and when our CS writing the tutorial, when marketing or publishing it, when our sales getting enabled, this is this is really helpful and uh, one of the the best products that I've used lately. How many people on your team do you have using Monday now? Is it across the whole team? We bought a like an all company license. Yes, that's incredible. Now, was Roy also from Unit eighty two hundred or eighty one hundred? Was he a pilot? <laughs> I actually don't know what Roy had done in the army. I met him a couple of times. You know, so that's that's one thing interesting to say about Monday. Roy Mun, they were already big. They were super successful. Um, but he took like an hour and a half to sit together with me. He didn't, he didn't know who I am. I just asked and he, he sat together with me when the company was almost closing and we sat about an hour in their office and he tried to help me, uh, to, you know, figure out what we're doing next. I love that. What a guy. That's a great story. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, you can see in my eyes, actually, uh, roughly, you don't, you don't bad. <laughs> roughly, listen, I'm 32. Look at this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, roughly, I'd say three and a half, four hours. I also have a two and a half year old daughter. So that's, uh, that's not great for sleep either. Wow. Roughly okay. So, four hours so married one kid and 32. Yep. All right, Errol, take us home. What's something you wish you knew when you were 20? Wow. Something you wish you knew when you were 20. I, have, I actually don't have a great answer to this. This is very interesting. So I'll tell you what I, what, I, what I know now that I didn't know when I was 20. I don't know if I knew it, if it would help or if I believed it, but I understood that there is no, like the, you're being pursuing uh, success and pursuing uh, whether it's, you know, a, 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 a monetary success or, or, or success, uh, professional success is not something that ever reaches an end. You know, if you ask me at 20 years old, you know, you can take $5 million home, you can take $10 million home. I would say I'd retire. And it seems like the more you have, the bigger your company is, um, the more assets you have, um, unfortunately, maybe the more you want, and it only, uh, accelerates your, your, your passion to things and, and your willingness to sacrifice. Um, so you'd imagine at 20 years old that if you get to a certain point, you can lay back and chill and have more time, you know, friends, family and relax. It's actually the opposite. And the more higher I get, you know, I meet CEOs and I mention a few people, the more higher you get, the harder they work 
and 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 they are less uh, uh, um, tending to to enjoy their time and just chill. So that's one thing that I've learned. I always thought that there's going to be a race, and you know, everyone say I'm going to be a millionaire by 30 and 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 take a and basically retire. And when I had that chance at 29, I gave that up, and uh, I know that now I work much 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 harder than I did. Guys, Ariel Osaroff, CoreLogix from 2014 to 2017, they had no revenue despite raising 4.5 million bucks. First off, revenue late 2017, broke a million in revenue 2018, then scaled to 3 million in 2019 and turned down a 40, caught 30, $40 million acquisition offer in exchange, raised VC, has now raised another 25 million Series B at around 100 million valuation, another 55 million recently with secondary on top of that to clean up the cap table. Now working with over 2,000 customers as they really think about how to re-engineer this sort of space that he believes Influence, Snowflake, and Salesforce will all get into here shortly. Launching a new product as well with five enterprise customers on it. To date, biggest customer pays over a million bucks. Team of 100 people, very efficient, 70 engineers as it continues to scale. Ariel, thanks for taking us to the top. Thank you very much. That was an incredible summary. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs)